Hello folks, welcome back to the COM122 podcast. This is Davis, your AI host of the show. We are in Cape Town, South Africa, and you can hear the local tunes in the background. In a moment, Leah and Luke, two South African locals, will join us and continue the conversation on globalization. So, stay tuned. My name is Leah. And I'm Luke. We are both from South Africa. And this is our city. We are so glad to share what we have learned about various challenges and adaptive strategies in the globalized media market. We will go through each challenge and provide you with some examples we have found. The first challenge is the uneven development in media technology and telecommunication infrastructure. We refer to this problem as the digital divide. In 2016, the United Nations declared the Internet's promotion, protection, and enjoyment to be human rights. However, while the Internet penetration rate was 79.6% in Europe and 87% in the US, it was barely 22% in Africa. In many parts of the world, a stable electricity supply remains an issue, not to mention high-speed Internet. Of course, things are changing with the quick adoption of mobile phones in South Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Latin America. Uneven development requires media institutions to come up with different audience targeting strategies. For instance, while institutions in North America are invested in using social media to raise awareness campaigns on public health issues in the rural areas of developing countries, TV series prove to be very effective in changing social norms and behaviors. The second challenge is a legal and political one. Netflix, for example, is available in over 150 countries, but not in Crimea, a former part of Ukraine and now annexed by Russia. This is due to the US sanctions on Russia for annexing the Ukrainian peninsula. Since the full-scale war broke out between Russia and Ukraine, Netflix has exited the Russian market. Oh, yes, let's talk about Netflix in China. In 2017, Netflix announced it had reached a licensing deal with a local video streaming company in China. Based on Chinese laws and regulations, foreign companies providing information services must partner with local companies, and local companies should be the majority shareholder in the joint venture. Had the deal gone through, Netflix's content in China would also be highly selective and censored by the state. The deal never went through. The Chinese new cybersecurity law that went into effect in 2017 has made American tech companies' presence in China increasingly difficult, if not impossible. While the legal and political barrier is largely associated with economic protectionism, sometimes the barrier also has something to do with strong local competitions. In the Chinese case, there were already three local major video streaming giants at the time of Netflix's entry. The local companies are doing very well in the Chinese domestic market and have been expanding overseas. Even if Netflix were present in China, it would face an uphill battle with local competitors. Piracy is another legal challenge. Because of the relative ease of copying and transmitting digital content, some argue that media institutions have lost revenues to piracy. But, does it? It is a debatable point. For that point, refer to the video shown in class title Can Piracy Be Good for Business? Lastly, the linguistic and cultural barriers. Selling Russian films to American audience. 
well, something is bound to be lost in translation. What is key here is not just a common language, but cultural proximity. Some cultural linguistic markets may have an advantage and benefit from closely linked geographies. Other cultural and linguistic markets may be based on diasporic communities due to colonization and immigration. Be noted that places that seem to be culturally similar may have very different types of audience. For example, crazy rich Asians won big in America, but lost big in the Chinese market. It also didn't sell that much in Singapore. Local audiences in China just don't resonate with the film at all. How do media institutions overcome these barriers? For the linguistic barriers, the most straightforward strategy is dubbing and subtitling. But it is an expensive operation. Have you heard of fan subbing? It refers to fan-made subtitles for movies and TV shows. There have been quite many active fan-subbing communities doing the voluntary work of translation. But they work in a grey area, legally speaking. In 2017, a Dutch court ruled that fan-made subtitles are illegal because subtitles are considered part of a media franchise's intellectual property. For cultural barriers, media institutions can overcome by localizing media content. They can remove media goods from their original or immediate cultural surroundings and reproduce them in another locale. They might also need to change the narrative techniques used. Notice that these local adaptations are new productions, also called derivative work. Would adaptation go too far? Media institutions may edit media content to a greater extent to please local audiences or even to comply with local authorities. If there were one element that is universal, it is on-stage competition. People of every culture love to watch people compete with one another on screen. That is, perhaps, why the media franchise The Amazing Race and talent shows are so popular. Media institutions can sell not just content but format. Format sales means selling the particular features of a media good for complete reproduction in another country. When a format is sold, a new version of the media good is produced based on the original copyrighted product. The premise, character, and norms of the original are localized to fit the new setting. The last strategy involves co-production. It is a business arrangement in which production staff and creative workers from more than one country and organization work together in producing the project. Co-production could be an effective way to enter a market with strict legal and political barriers. A recent example involves Green Book, an Oscar-winning film in 2018. It was co-produced by Alibaba Picture, a Chinese tech giant. Through the co-production, this film entered the Chinese market and became the second highest-grossing Best Picture winner in the country behind the movie Titanic. Sure, there are many other strategies media institutions use to open new doors to new frontiers, particularly in their dealings with the Chinese market. Such tactics include local product placement, employing A-list talent, revenue-sharing deals with theaters, and producing originals just for the market. These practices are shaping the traditional film industry in the States. For more info on that, watch the clip from Vox on how China has reshaped Hollywood. That's all for today's episode. Hope to see you next time.